Back to the Strength and Speed podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Evan Preparis, and I have another Conquer the Gauntlet Pro on the line with me. But before we introduce her, let's do a quick word from our sponsors. So this episode is brought to you by Neptune Performance. Neptune Performance has the moisture wicking shirt or water resistant shirt that has these pockets that allows you to put chemical hand warmers in to stay warm. So it's great for endurance events, it's great for wintertime training, it's great for hunting or Sort of any outdoor activity where you're going to be a little bit cold. I personally use it for Toughest Mudder and World's Toughest Mudder and any other 24-hour race I do where it might get a little cold. Uh, You can check them out on our website. They're in the online store, and there's also a code in there for $10 off. So check that out, and if you want to know more about the product, uh, we had Jason Rulo, the creator of the product, on the podcast at one of the earliest episodes of the show, so you're going to have to scroll back a little. Speaking of which... If you are listening via iTunes and you want to listen to an old episode and you can't find it because it doesn't show up anymore, all the old episodes are available via Podbean or Google Play, and they're also available directly off the Strength and Speed website. I know iTunes sometimes starts kind of like deleting the old uh, podcast from your feeds, so you can still find it. You're just going to have to go to a different source to look up and listen to those. All right, let's get to the show. Today on the line, we have Christina Honey Badger Armstrong, one of my Conquer the Gauntlet Pro teammates. Your favorite. My favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So, for those of you who don't know her, I think I consider her my counterpart on the uh, CTG team because she is the endurance female of the team. Um, She's one of four women to complete the summer death race, which we're going to talk a lot about during this episode. She's won two BFX uh, back to back tridents. And with one of them, which you did as many laps as the winning male. She's got 23, 23 career podium finishes. Um, out of all of her OCR accomplishments, she's the most proud. The most proud of is, is turning her mother and daughters and a few of her cross-country athletes into OCR racers. So that's kind of awesome, expanding the sport. And then uh, has a total of 70 career races, including completing the Couch to Mountain series of races in one year. Which for those of you who would follow Spartan, they used to have this mountain progression where it was like, you know, sprint, super beast, ultra beast, trifecta, and then all the way up to death race. So, Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Cool. All right, let's start off with the basic, because I don't think everyone's going to be tracking. Explain to everyone what death race is. Uh, well, it's kind of something different for everybody. Um, kind of the biggest um, mind um am i allowed to cuss i forgot to ask am i allowed to cuss uh we try to keep it clean but if one slips okay. out that's okay <laughs> well it's, it's basically the biggest mind fuck that you could have in a race uh because it's it's uh it's not really a race uh you, you people um who are competitive and want to go in and do it as a, like they think they're going to go out and uh, the starting gate and go off and run and start and finish that's not what it is um and it's, it's 
you don't know when you're going to start. You don't know what you're going to, when you're going to finish. You don't know what you're going to be doing. Um, they'll prep you for stuff and then not do any of it. Uh, they'll tell you to bring things and you not use any of those things. Uh, so it's just kind of one of those, um, I wouldn't really say it's like an adventure race. Um, because it, 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 there's not really anything out there like it. And, and you have to be, um, in the mind frame, uh, Google it, research it, watch the videos on it to really know what it is in order to prepare for it and, and kind of know anything about it. Um, so there's, there's really no explanation for what death race is. It's just, it's, it's an event that will, kind of because it's something different for everybody but it, it's something that'll challenge you mentally physically emotionally um and it's definitely an event that's designed to to for sure break you um you know they, originally the hype was to, to break people but i think um it, it's more than that um it's it, people look at it in a negative way but it, it truly is not a negative event it, it's actually pretty cool you should go do it I, I actually get that all the time, and we'll get into my response on that later. But so let's assume people know absolutely nothing about it. So let's start with the basics. Approximately how long? Like, give me a time. Are we talking eight hours? Are we talking 72 hours? Are we talking somewhere in between? Give me a time frame for people listening. There, again, there is no time frame uh, anywhere. I, I would I would estimate because just from the stories I've heard, uh, the research I did, anywhere from 48 to 72 hours, let's say that, because yeah. they and I think they have to kind of give you an estimate because you have to book a flight and but you know I, they're they're not really caring of the the powers that be that are planning the race aren't caring about your travel plans. They're, they're there to put on the race and that's all they care about. Um, but yeah, I would do that time frame between 48 hours, no less than 48 hours. And the longest, um, I believe I've seen 78 hours, 71 to 78 hours. All right. So basically an all weekend endurance event. Let's talk about, give me some examples of some of the things you would have to do during a death race. Um, so one of ours, I'll just go into some of the things we did in ours. We had to, uh, uh, we were told that we were going to be walking through the trails for 24 hours and told to bring whatever nutrition and stuff we needed, um, in order to survive for that 24 hours. So we get all of our stuff together, get ready to go. And all of a sudden they tell us to strip all of our clothes off except for our underwear, um, and our bibs and the, the packs that we had that we were going to need for 24 hours and including our shoes and socks. And we were um, tied together in groups of 10 by a rope. And then each of those groups of 10 were tied together to each additional group. And then we walked the uh, trails of Bloodroot Mountain in Vermont um, one way and then we got to the end. Uh, I can't remember how long it took us because it seemed like forever. And they weren't happy. The directors were not happy with how long it took us. So they made us all turn around and go back and do it completely again. And so that, that's, that's one of those kind of tasks that you don't, they're just like, hey, let's just go do this. Strip off all your clothes. Uh, I want to say I think one or two people quit at that point. Uh, just like, and this was at the very beginning. And they were like, oh, I'm out, I'm done, not going to do this, and, and didn't even didn't even do that challenge to begin with. Um, other 
challenges, carrying a lot of heavy crap, doing a lot of burpees, carrying stuff like rocks. Uh, you would have to weigh yourself and be given um, a rock so much percent of your body weight and then have to carry that in addition to your gear uh, for so many miles up and down a mountain and then check in and then do it again. Um, and just random stuff. One of the other random things we had to do, because um, they also put in uh, where you're helping around um, the area of Vermont that we were out. Um, we had to chop wood and take the wood and take it up to the top of a delivery point and drop it off and then go pick up areas for um, uh, the communities around there. Uh, some of the most random things. And sometimes they just made it up. They were like, oh, you know, we need to fill in some some, some spots here. Let's go do this. Uh, we hiked up to uh, in the middle of a forest uh, where we helped build part of a cabin that somebody was staying in. Um, and just we had to work together as a team to do that. Um, we had to do challenges such as uh, memorizing the alphabet backwards. But before you did that, you had to consume some whipped cream and then do uh, uh, somersaults, so forward rolls so many times. Uh, so you got to roll through a lot of vomit doing that, and then you had to recite the alphabet. And if you messed up and didn't do it the right way, you have to go back and do it all over again. So that's why I say they are they would just do random things that were some strength based, some puzzle piece based, some uh, grit based, and then some just messing with your head, basically just to try to get you to quit. So it was it was quite fascinating watching the people drop like flies for. Um, some of the stupidest reasons, um, if, that, if that makes sense. One of the things they did while we were on that uh, trail walk, um, they took our gear and they made the comment, you know, your gear may get wet. So some of us had trash bags and we put our, our huge backpacks in those trash bags and duct taped them up. Well, while we were on the trail walk, uh, they took all of our bags and they threw them in a creek. And so those bags were soaking in a creek for however long it took us to do that trail walk. Um, luckily, my team was the second team to get to the water, and we were able to get our bags out. But everything, if your bag was not waterproof or anything, food, clothes, dry clothes to change into, because uh, remember, we were cold and half-naked from being walking through the trails barefoot, uh, everything was completely soaking wet. Um, and to top it off, that creek that everything was thrown into um, was there were leeches in it. So we didn't find that out until we took everything out, and then we would find random leeches on our bodies. So uh, interesting stuff like that. Wow. Uh, sounds like a party. <laughs> I use, I'm, using, I'm using air quotes right now. You can't see it, but there's, it says party. Um and that was just our race. That wasn't even I had I that wasn't even some of the stuff I've heard of or seen from other death races. Have you read the book Spartan Up, Joe DeSena's book? I have not. No, I had I um, a friend of mine that bought a copy and we were pass, we were going to pass it to people to people and it just hasn't made it to me yet. Gotcha. Well, there, there's some story for those of you who are more interested about stories of death race. He has some in that book. It is very. I mean, as it should be, right? He he plugs Spartan Race about a thousand times throughout the book. So it's like reading or listening to a giant Spartan commercial for the entire length of the book. But if you like Spartan Races, you know, I think that, I think you'll love it. If you're not a fan of Spartan Races, some of that uh, repetition might get a little bit old. But anyway, yeah, 
for those of you who want to know a little bit more about Death Race, there is some information in there. Now, I would consider Death Race not OCR. <laughs> I've uh, written an article on Mud Run Guide called uh, Is Events Like Death Race OCR? I believe is the name of the article. And I would classify them as like a separate category called assessment and selection events. Uh, so I would put in that category things like Death Race, Agogi, Goruck. Um, let's see what else. The selection, the brutality, all, all these, all these kind of random, you know, not fixed course. Some things that don't have necessarily have a winner and loser. Sometimes it's just a finish or no finish. Kind of all these, and and they make you just do random things. Really test your physical and mental toughness. So out of, out of some of those, have you done any other similar things like a gogi or brutality or any of these other assessment selection? I haven't. I've uh, other than like um, if you think of similar along the lines would be the twelve hour events. So the, the Spartan twelve hours would be the most similar because uh, there it's the same thing. There's you, you don't really do any obstacles. You're given heavy weight to carry. You're given random challenges. Um, a lot of that also is it depends on who the cadre is that's leading you. Um, but it, it's another event that you're you're going for a long amount of time, but it's to test your strength and your ability. Um, it's a lot more physical um, than, I guess, puzzle and mental stuff though but you, you do see people quit because of the mental things but they have things where I had missed so many 12 hours um, or failed them because of random things like uh, navigation I got lost and I couldn't figure out navigation piece so I would miss cutoff times so they have they do have uh, cutoff times that you'd have to meet and I would miss those and so that's how I would DNF on those um, you know and, and, and death race did have you know their winners and like the, the the year that I ran it, um, they had seven specific winners and all the money was donated. Instead of it coming back to us, all of the money put in was donated to the charities of their choices. So we knew that going in that we could pick a charity and the top seven people would get to have that money donated to them. Um, so other than that, the next closest thing would have been TPK, uh, which uh, my team, I did with a teammate my the first year and we won that the first year it came out. Um, again, not something that had, that does have winners um, and but people who DNF and no obstacles, but the same thing with strength, grit, puzzles um, along. It's hard to say if it's along the line of adventure racing because it, it just seems they're more mental challenging races, if that makes sense. From my understanding of what you've told me about TPK in the past, I think that's closer to adventure racing than it is to... OCR, it's and and death race kind of falls in between probably the two of them, from what I understand. Right, right, yeah, I definitely know OCR because there's there there's an obstacles they give you. I mean, but they give you the challenges of stuff to come up with beforehand. Uh, for example, the memorizing of a mem of a Rubik's cube, but then you had to use that Rubik's cube throughout the race to get you from different points. Um, but then they they had the running, rucking. Um, this past year, I didn't compete, but they had uh, mountain bike riding as a part of it. So I'm hoping to compete in the next one, which will be January 25th, and that one's called Bad Decisions. Um, and that's I'm looking uh, to hopefully join a team for that event. And where is that? Just so people are tracking. Um, for the for TPK, yeah. I'm looking to see where they're going to have it this year or next year. Uh, I'm wondering if they're doing Arizona again. All right, I'm not sure. This. Speaking of upcoming events, earlier this year they announced they're doing another death race. Now, I know in the past they said the last death race was done, 
but I guess they're doing another one. It's scheduled for <laughs> I'm tracking June twelfth in Pittsfield, Vermont. Any mm-hmm. plans to attend for you? At first, I had. I I'd registered. I'd done the follow through. I got my confirmation email, and then I really started. I, thinking about it and it, you know in all honesty I, I was talking to some people that's really one of those things that you just need to experience once in your life um I already did it I already completed it um the person I am now after that race is completely different than the person I was when I went in and it's a kind of like I was on the fence of, I'd, I mean, I would love to be there to help somebody through that and, and see them go through what I went through and discover that. I, I don't see the need to have to do it again, if that makes sense. Uh, there's nothing I need to prove. Uh, you know, I, these, these, I know there's several death racers that do several over and over again, um, but I you know, already went through it. I don't, if I would have failed it, then yes. If I would not have definitely DNF, then I would have been all over that. But um, I think in my head, for me, it's these are personal journeys, and I already, I already made that journey. So I would love to definitely go just to see Dawn and to be a part of the, the group and see everybody out there. But I, as at this point, I'm not planning on going. Gotcha. And speaking of finishing, what's the finisher prize? <laughs> uh well um <laughs> i really think there is a prize and and if you're looking for a prize then then that event's not something for you uh it they they had a payout listed <laughs> i know you physically you physically get something don't you don't you physically get something when you when you finish oh the skull yes yes yeah, you usually get a skull. And, and what's really funny is the year that, that I did it, that summer that we did it, we didn't get schools because none of the money that we put in, again, was put towards us. All that money went to charity. So we didn't even get schools. But kind of what we were taught in the end was it, it, with this kind of race, it's not about what you get in the end uh, as far as like a handout, a, a trophy, a medal, um, a t-shirt or a skull, anything like that. You know, if you know, you finished it, you know, you experienced it. That's all that matters. Um, so, but we did, I did, when I got home, I did have family members that purchased me. I think I ended up with like four different skulls from different friends and family members and, um, some Lone Star Spartans through myself and, uh, some of the other members, um, that, went to death race, a party and gave us all schools. And so, you know, um, we, you do get a school for finishing, but yeah, that particular one, since none of the money, uh, was going back towards the athletes, uh, none of the money was put into purchasing anything for us. All right. Now as a finisher, what's the best piece of advice you can give for those getting ready? If any of our listeners are planning on taking on death race or maybe a similar type assessment selection type challenge. Uh, don't overthink it. I mean, look, do, do your research on it, but, you know, I totally went in not planning, preparing, or doing anything um, other than just running um, because it's so, I would say more of those races are 90% mental to 10% physical, uh, unless you're going into something like the selection or one of those that are a whole lot more physical. De- death races, if um, you can just get through the mental aspects of it and stay awake and stick with it and not give up, you're going to succeed. Um, it, it's those things. These are those things that they'll do everything, throw everything at you to make you quit. And that's where you see where the weaknesses are. Um, one of the, the biggest things I discovered that was my weakness is cold. And when I get cold and wet and I, I immediately want to quit. 
And it actually took uh, my friend Alberto, who was there with me, who had already dropped out of the race, um, right at the very end. And I was just ready to be done because I was just freezing and cold and wet. And he's like, so you're just going to? You're just going to quit now? You're just going to quit? Okay, well, give me your bib. Go ahead and give me your bib. I'll go take it to somebody for you since you're just going to quit. And at that moment, I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. But you just you just have to go through it and not put too much thought into anything. Um, I think a lot of racers now think uh, they have to be the strongest and the fastest and the best at everything, and they train so hard for it. And then you get to these races, and none of those skills are needed. Um, and that's what ends up making them fail in the end. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's that's pretty good. I've I've been through I haven't been through death race or um, some of the other events I named earlier, but I have been through very similar training for military uh, for my my day job, right? And mm-hmm. one of the things I always tell people, which when they're getting ready to go to some of these courses, I'm like, it sounds really dumb, but the biggest thing is don't quit, right? Like if you mm-hmm. if you right. if you if you make it all the way to the end and they tell you you're not good enough then, you know, so be it. But if you quit, your chances of getting picked up or passing the course are zero, right? There's there's just no way you can pass. Right. And then the other thing, you know, again, same thing with the military. You know, there are guys who go to some of these courses and they're in very, very good shape and they go there and, you know, they have the physical muscle and the cardio ability to pass these courses, but they lack the mental strength. So they get in there and they get in their own head and like, like you said, they get cold or miserable and you know they decide that their you know their couch and their home and their air conditioned room is more valuable than uh, a little patch that you get to wear on your arm for the rest of your career. And those are the first things that go through your head whenever you're in any of those events. Um, and I've gone through them with the 12-hour hurricane heats. I went through it with TPK. Um, after so many hours, your brain just starts, when you're sleep-deprived and you're hungry and you're cold, your brain just starts messing with you. Um, and I think that's why I do these races. It's because I've, I had always wanted to figure out what my weaknesses were, and then that's what you, you try to work on for the next event. Um, it's it's kind of cool to see, because then when you quit, you feel like absolute crap afterwards. And then you see all these other people who do finish that are either weaker or stronger than you. And then what do I have that they didn't have? Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. it's just, you you build on that for future races. But if you know that about yourself going in, that's what you're more prepared for. So I always try to tell people, people have asked me for death race this time. What do I need to train? What do I need to do? Don't train. And anything they tell you, (laughs) just be prepared for all of it to switch and don't get frustrated when it switches because that's what people who are very rigid or people who have to have things a certain way. That's why when I thought about you, Evan, with that race, you would go insane because they would switch things and then say one thing is this way. And then all of a sudden, Oh, we're not going to do it that way. (laughs) And I could think about you going insane about that. Uh, But you can't have, you just have to be able to roll with things like that and not get upset about anything. Um, That's where I saw people dropping like flies with, just because they would get frustrated. Uh, oh, the biggest thing was whenever they put our bags in the water, um, I saw you know, people had brought their phones and put those in there, and then their phones got wet, so they quit because of that. Or all their food had gotten wet, so they quit because of that. Um, and these are you think it's not the end of the world. I think when I went into the race, my ultimate thought was, I'm not going to die. So, I mean, I could push myself. There, there's going to be medics there. There's going to be, you know, I, I can't die, right? I'm not going to die. So um, it's not the end of the world. Things can be replaced. All the, I just, I just keep going until I either pass out and somebody has to revive me <laughs> or 
you know, I finish. And fortunately, I was able to finish. Yeah, I think that's a good attitude going into these events. You know, I I go into the events a lot of the time with, you know, basically, in order for me to quit, you're going to have to drag me off the course. I'm going to have to be unconscious. So I'll just, I take quitting and I just remove it as an option from my, you know, my my wheelhouse and I just keep moving forward uh, regardless. All right, now I think we we kind of answered some of these questions already, but I'm going to ask them anyway just in case you have something different to add to it. What do you think the biggest mistake people make is when during their preparation for something like this? Uh, headache overtraining or overthinking it. Um, you putting too much thought into the planning what they're going to do and not just getting to the event and doing it. Um, and, and again, it's hard to to compare something like um, a death race to a um, a selection. Those are you know some of those you have to prepare for, but um, it, those are people are interested in going to death races, over-preparing for it, thinking too much into it, over oh, all the things on the, on the list. So, so is this what they need? Do I need to do this, this, and this? And, you know, overthinking it will totally screw you in the end uh, because it, it just, it's over-preparation. And like I said, everything's so much mental. You just have to basically show up and do what you're told um, and stick with it and not quit. Uh, so a lot of people fail because of that, over-preparation. Do you have a... Uh... Biggest mistake people make during the event? Quitting, <laughs> quitting, and just giving, <laughs> yeah, that's giving, giving, giving up. You know, gotcha. but uh, again, that's hard. Falling, giving up to, to quitting because of the, um, how do I explain? Like the material aspects of things. You know, something breaking on their shoes, something you know, not having enough nutrition right, right on them at that time. Instead of thinking through that, you know, well, how can I solve this solution? How can I solve this problem? Um, just quitting because, yeah, man, a Coke sounds so good right now. If I just quit, I can get back to camp and get a soda. I can go have pizza. You know, just giving up on yourself is the biggest mistake. Gotcha. All right, now let's start tying this back into OCR. So what's the biggest lesson you can take from an event like Death Race that you apply to OCR, whether that be in your training or in your racing? Um, so as far as it's really hard to compare any of that. I go, because oh, when I go back to OCR, that does involve training. Um, you know, I have to train for that. I have to run for that. I have to work on grip strength and all of that. Uh, my mind frame is, is about the same. You know, I don't put as much pressure um, on myself as I think a lot of others do, because for me, it's more of completion for myself and what I can do to better myself and then make an impact on others versus always winning and being number one. Um, I think it started out as that when I first came out, but where I am now compared to where I was back when I started OCR is night and day. So um, it's, but I have to keep up the training. I'm about to turn 40 this year and you've got all these freaking young athletes coming out that are, you know, can do everything and run and I'm old as hell and they're going to beat me. So I have to, <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, you have these athletes that come out and do this full time. They train full time. They don't have, I mean, they might have jobs, but um, they lead probably completely different lives than I do. So it's a lot to keep up with. Now you weren't always a fit ultra endurance athlete. So kind of tell me about that transition and when that occurred. Uh, no, no, I wasn't in high school in cross or in college. I was so I, I fortunately was number ranked number one in high school, and then went to college and was on scholarship for track and cross country, and then ended up having kids. 
So I got pregnant with my son my uh, right out of college and then had my second child right after that, right two years later, and got really fat and really depressed. And I think it's just what happens. Life kind of took over. You get married, you have kids, and you get to a point um, where it's like, oh, is this is this where it is? I think a lot of people hit that when you get to the, the late 30s and you have kids and everything. And so I was at about 180 pounds, and I was like a size 15, 16, if you can imagine. Um, uh, so I was pretty big, and I was on a lot of different medications for anxiety and depression. Um, I have chronic migraines. Um, I think I took a picture once. of I was on eight different medications at one time. Um, and it, it was pretty bad. The depression was getting was getting pretty bad. And uh, luckily, if, if my friend, uh, my best friend's husband, John, um, invited me to do a Spartan race, and I kind of got addicted to it that way. Um, and I live right down the street from Irwin Park, and at the time, Sean Fiak, who was on the Spartan Pro team, um, had a people there training um, full-time uh, for uh, Spartan races. So that's where I met Jackie Rust and Sue Luck, and so went and started training with them. And so within, that was about 2012, I think within a year and a half, I was uh, dropped down to about 130-something pounds and was racing elite waves. Um, and not again, not for, at first it was for the competitiveness, but a lot of it was just for pushing myself. I wasn't really going out to try to win stuff. It was kind of like, hey, I used to be fat and now I'm skinny and now I like really doing this and now I like running and now I want to compete with all these other badasses and so now we got to where I am now, and I just keep doing more things. I think I just keep finding more and more races to do, and I keep doing them. So what is it that draws you into these endurance events over something you know shorter like Spartan Sprint or any of the number of short series races? The, uh, the running. The shorter races are actually harder for me. Um, I don't really feel like I even get warmed up until after like three miles. Um, so the, I can – Run when it's an actual running event, like an ultra beast um, or a longer running distance. I'm just stronger at that. I can go for a very long time, um, and I think it's the the challenge of um, failing. The the knowing that I might fail is what draws them to me. That's what drew me to Death Race in the beginning. When I first heard about it, I Googled it or was YouTubing the videos and saw them. And everybody else was like, those are just stupid. They're the dumbest things ever. You're an idiot if you want to do this. And then I'm like, this looks really cool. Because I'm like, what what better to see to test your ability? What What makes you fail? And, I mean, at this point in my life, what else is there? So go out and see what my strengths, my weaknesses are and build on that. So I think the endurance races just draw me in because they're they're more of a challenge of potentially failing or potentially DNFing and that's why I'm drawn to them. No. I uh I see I see what you're saying. I you know people like pushing their limits and I'm I'm in the same boat. So you've won two BFXs. Any plans for some of the other ultra OCRs like Toughest Mudder or World Toughest Mudder or Spartan Iceland? Well, I did. My big goal this year was going to be World's Toughest Mudder, and I was planning on doing Toughest and then ended up getting chosen for the Sisu Like a Girl team and did the Mudmasters race in Germany at the same time I was supposed to be doing Toughest. So um, that I did the 24-hour Mudmasters race and ended up getting third place for that. 
And that ended up kind of being one of my big races this year. I still do. Uh, Ultra Beast will be the next one that I work on. Uh, I'm training for that'll be in October. Um, but I still am considering uh, World's Toughest Mudder. Um, it's hard not, not knowing about because I'm not going to have to. I'll just have to go in blindly, not doing any toughest beforehand. But it, um, it's still on the docks or it's still on my calendar to potentially do. Um, but no, as far as agogi, I haven't really shown too much interest in the agogis. I'm not sure why. I like reading about them, but I think so much has changed in the endurance event world of Spartan. A lot of people that influence that have left, and it's just so much different now. Um, I guess the, the feeling of it back when I did those I, I don't know, I would say back, way back when, like it was like years ago. I went two years, too many years ago, but it, it's so much different now. Um, I do feel like everybody that comes out sometimes they're just there to try to get a prize. Like it's not the same vibe as the the group was when I originally got into those kind of events through Spartan. Um, so I look at right now sticking with TPK, sticking with uh, potentially World's Toughest Mudder, Mudder being my big one to go towards. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about Mudmasters, uh, the 24. So that wasn't a traditional 24-hour OCR, right? It was sev- three separate events broken up over 24 hours. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. It was very interesting. <laughs> give, give us a rundown of that because I had actually never even heard of that until you said you were going. Yeah, so the the first part was uh, it was I didn't know too much about it either because we went as a team, so I thought it was going to be um, a team race. So the, the first part of it was um, a you had to it was just it was a long distance run, so you had to do that part. And but it is all obstacles, and they um, uh, they had people out there watching for mandatory, and then they had penalty loops if you didn't do. Um, uh, the the obstacles correctly, so that that was good because you had me and then um, uh, the other four girls on my team participating in that, and Laura, um, who's on was on my team from Australia, was out in first, and uh, I was in second, third, fourth range, and then got lost, and then caught back up, and was able to keep that third spot. But that first seventeen k, nineteen k was the first part of it. And then you have a little bit of a break, and they tally up all the, the the final results for that part. And then the next part is a short course, and it's about oh, I hate not knowing the offhand the distance of it, but it's a, like a sprint course basically. And you have um, so many minutes to do the sprint course, and it also the had the same kind of obstacles from the the race previously, um, but just shorter amount of them. Um, and then the same thing with the obstacle completion of it. And a lot of people dropped on that because they couldn't do, there was a rope climb at the end. And um, I think it was at least four or five women that couldn't do the rope climb at the end. And you had to get up to the top and ring the bell because there was no penalty loop on that. And if you couldn't do it, you were basically dropped down to the lower category or to the lower numbers. They didn't DNF you. You just they dropped your points down. Um, so then there was the sprint course. And then after that, you had um, we only had about 30 minutes of rest at that point, And that was just to go change into our gear for the nine-hour overnight um, 6K loop. And that was the the same loop we had done that morning, but just over and over and over again, as many times as you could do throughout the night until the cutoff time the next morning. And uh, that's where the, the temperature dry. And it was very wet, very muddy. 
um, some of the obstacles. They they ended up um, their electrocutioner, I believe it was called, obstacle, where you had to walk out basically on a plank and jump into water. They ended up having to close down because uh, the the weather dropped so low. Um, so we only were able to do that, I think, the first or second lap, and then it was closed down again until 5 a.m. the next morning. Um, so that's, yeah, it was a very cool but very interesting race. Um, definitely a pretty awesome race. I'd love to go do it. I wish they would bring it to the States because I, I, I won a free registration getting third place. Unfortunately, it's only in Germany, so I'd have to go to Germany to do it again. And it's in Western Germany, right? Right. Yeah, because I was actually in Germany at the same time. I was just on the opposite side of the country. So I was like, oh, man, too bad. Could have swung over and knocked out a couple of uh, OCRs in one day. It was. I mean, the obstacles were really good, too. They weren't, like, cheesy obstacles. They were They were hard. It was The hard part was, it's, you know, where you get the gray area of, you know, when you lose volunteers and nobody watching. And I think at one point I was just me. I was doing the actual obstacles and some of the other ladies – doing the race weren't they just kind of walk by i'd be over there doing the traverse rope and look over and see the girl behind me come up and just go right around it because she didn't want to get wet in the water so you know i think you had that with any races so that was the only part that was tough but and i so i was really worried about losing you know the the, the status of top three and so i just had to keep up with it and try to keep running keep running um fortunately i, I had the times and the the uh positioning i had from the First two races had me well into it, and I didn't have to worry about it. Yeah, and I know Laura Newton, one of your teammates, she won that, but then she's also just past mm-hmm. weekend just won, I think, her age group in Enduro 2-4 OCR World Championships, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I think I saw that. Yep, she is phenomenal. She she definitely had me on the lap. And the other two girls on your team were Allie Tucker and Gwen Case, is that right? Uh-huh, yep, and Gwen actually got me through. I, I hit that moment of wanting to quit the very last lap because it was the same. I was in a, I was in a wetsuit. I'd never run in a wetsuit. Uh, I had borrowed, uh, the girls had said get one. I didn't want to buy one because I'm too cheap. So luckily my friend Jackie Rust had one, borrowed hers. Running in a wetsuit is awful. Um, I could like trying to climb up. It was warm. Every, it felt, everything was great because I was warm, but I, trying to run in it was just miserable. And the last lap, I just wanted to quit. I was just kind of like, you know what? I'm pretty sure I'm going to keep third. I, I'm I'm good with quitting now. And if it hadn't been for Gwen, she was like, come on, we can do one more lap. We can do one more lap. And uh, we were both hurting pretty bad. She Her knee was hurting pretty bad. Um, I just, you, after some of those races, when you, run for 24 hours straight it's your legs just kind of like you sometimes you just can't even move like you can't run you can walk but you can't run anymore and then when you have to climb up stuff and do obstacles um it's not just running it, it makes it even more challenging so i think we we walked pretty much the whole last lap but we got another lap in to to add to our numbers but yeah i definitely hit that point where i was just like I think I can quit now. I'm done. I, I, I want something warm to eat. I, I want some broth. I want something. And, and Gwen got me through that. Awesome. Now, before let's we're going to switch away from the ultra endurance topic and talk a little bit about OCR and marriage. Now, I know schedules and like my wife doesn't do OCR. She just kind of accompanies me. I know your husband doesn't do OCR. So how has that been and how have you been making that work? or, you know, kind of problems you've encountered. Just have to kind of take us through that. 
that that actually was a big struggle at first. Um, and I think so when I first dropped all the weight and got into this, um, you know, of course, you, you, you my husband knows that I'm. I'm out working out with all these other guys. And so, you know, the first thing is, is like, all right, who, who are you racing with? And and so he did come to a few races uh, to kind of meet who I was running with. And then when he realized I'm kind of like one of the guys, because I act just like all of them, then it was a little bit better. But it it did cause a strain. But I think that was more on because I was kind of finding who I was. I went through a time during when I'd lost all the weight of really um, trying to figure out a happy place of getting, I was on so many different medications. You got to understand some of those migraine medications are, are pretty heavy duty. Um, if you look into them, thinking, and I'm telling, talking things like Vicodin, heavy things of Vicodin. So um, I would start abusing a lot of that stuff because it was just those, that was happy stuff for me. So I would, um, use those things to make myself feel better. And then I found racing was one, the thing that made me feel better. Well, my husband didn't quite understand that. So when you're in a marriage and you, you, you can't be like, Oh, we should make each other happy. Well, you got to understand you have to find what makes yourself happy. And that was a big struggle for us in the beginning. And um, we actually ended up uh, going to some counseling for it. And uh, he wanted me to quit racing. And the therapist actually said that would be the worst thing you could ever have her do. Because uh, that would have just sent me back down into that, you know, spiral of depression and and using painkillers and other things just because racing is, is kind of my drug now. Um, but that's, it still causes some issues because I'll be gone on weekends and traveling a lot. And um, in addition to, you know, uh, racing, I'm also um, a special education teacher, but, and I'm also a coach. Well, I have those two other jobs take me on some weekend retreats and then cross country meets. And so some months, whenever it's race season, I will be gone every single weekend. And that causes issues back and forth. But the best way to work through that is just the communication. Um, I went through a time where I'd be like, you know what, I knew it would upset him, but I would, you know, keep it in. Be like, it's okay. It's best. It's what's best for me. It's what's best for me. He'll just have to get over it. And then I saw that I was like, that's just being really stubborn. And when you've been in a marriage for as long as we have, uh, Kendon and I have been together since we were 15 years old. That's what makes things worse. So definitely trying to communicate more about it, communicating who I'm racing with and where I'm going ahead of time. Um, but I started to back off a little bit on it to try to incorporate, you know, not being as gone on many weekends um, because I saw that that was definitely hurting him a lot more. It's I've gotten my family into racing. So now I take like we conquered the gauntlet. Of course, my mother is. Um, does the merchandise tent and my daughters come and race with me. And so I don't feel, I think at the beginning, he, it made me feel like I was really selfish, like it was all for me. Um, so now it's like I want it to be a, a family thing. Um, the difference between Kendon and I is I'm extremely outgoing. I will make friends with anybody. Um, I'm the, the clown. I am just, that's just me. He, he's extremely um, an introvert and very quiet and it's totally not anything like that. But he's learned to be extremely supportive in the racing. He's become friends with some of my racing friends and he's got his own nutrition plan like that. But it can, people who say that it, that OCR, 
when they get into it, uh, doesn't strain their marriage. I think, I, I think it's, they lie a lot because it does. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you just, it, it, it's hard to not feel like I'm being selfish because I am doing this for me, but it's not like I'm trying to go out and gain something. It's for personal or like a, um, so I don't go insane. I don't go crazy. Um, I don't go back to, you know, I mean, I used to go out and party and drink all night and not come home until the next morning. And that's what I was doing. So this is definitely a much healthier way <laughs> to live my life and, you know, get my family involved in it as well. But um, it's it still sometimes strains it. Also, money wise, you got to think how much OCR costs. So I have my, my second job with Heroes that I use to pay for my racing, um, and I try not to use any of our family money for that. But, um, you know, I remember just for a while there I was made to feel guilty because they'd be like, uh, oh, we want to plan something this week. And, oh, wait, do you have a race? You, uh, oh, we can't. You probably have a race. Oh, you have a race. Oh, you have a race. So yeah, I have to, you have to balance that between your family uh, and, you know, personal wanting to you know there's some races I'm like I, I don't want to give up I definitely want to do this specific race and then others you know I don't care about anymore and it's like oh there'll be other races it's not the end of the world um but it's, it's definitely been a struggle and we've gotten through it um I think we've um because we've talked about it and uh communicated more about it in the end it's made our marriage a whole lot stronger but um you have to have open communication about that especially when you have if you're married to somebody like me who is extremely uh I mean you know me Evan uh extremely inappropriate <laughs> what you no and, I, don't, um, I don't think so <laughs> I, I <laughs> I'm kind of taken the wrong way when people meet me, and I'm very outgoing. And so I, I think, uh, I think for the longest time, people didn't even know I was married because my husband is so quiet. And then they see me post something like, "What? You have a husband?" <laughs> um, but he's he's phenomenal, and he he does support me so much. Like, I, 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 he was the one I came home from death race and had threw me a surprise death race party. Um, and I, you know, at the time was thinking he really didn't care that much. And uh, he put so much effort into supporting me into some of these races behind the scenes. Um, sometimes he'll randomly randomly show up at a race and he'll just be there. So, uh, but sometimes I don't want him there because it's, this is, it's, you know, these are, this is my, I'm not doing this for, you know, per like attention from anybody from him. Um, this is for me and he knows that. And so that's some of the things we discussed. Um, those are some of the hard discussions you have to have with your spouse uh, about not being selfish, um, which which we've had. But like I said, it's not. It's probably extremely hard being married to me. But you know, so if any of y'all ever meet Kendon, you just need to give him a pat on the back or buy him a, a shot of Crown because he deserves it. <laughs> well, I think you hit on some key points there, and I hope some of that information is helping some of our listeners if they're experiencing similar similar problems. Uh, I think one of the big key points is communication, right? Just keeping keeping an honest, open communication about what you're doing and how this is right. positively affecting you. Like I know, you know, similar situation, like because of all the fitness and OCR-related stuff, like I leave for work a, a lot of the times, right? I haven't been in the last, I think, two and a half months. I've been home for nine days. I've slept in my bed, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the – one of the benefits of OCR, even though I have to, I get up and train all the time, which, you know, 
my I'm sure my wife would much rather have me home spending time with the my daughter. But she knows when I'm on you know these work trips, I go to bed at like 9 p.m. because I want to get up and run in the morning. You know, so she doesn't have to worry about me. And similar things with you know I've been on deployments with my boss where we're allowed to drink and again he he didn't have to worry about me because he'd be like where's Evan he's in the gym right now and he's gonna go to bed after that <laughs> you know so it's a low risk low threat so there are some benefits and the other thing I'd say is you know balance is gonna be a little bit different for everyone so you know your balance and my balance are probably on the far end about how much we race um, you know but based off your spouse and your job and your kids i think everyone's balance is going to be a little bit different as far as you know uh what makes you happy and you know allows you to be more stress-free without you know straining your relationship as much so i think you have to remember in the end is if it and and i've given this advice to other people that have been married and fought after um because they've had an unsupportive husband or an unsupportive wife when it comes to this but they also hasn't haven't been in the the ocr world with them um and they are always accusing of you're just going out here to meet people or meet men or meet women or do this and this and it's not about that um you know for those of us that do this for a passion it's so much more than that um and but you know when, when you have a spouse that's not in that scene with you it's really hard for them to see so you just have to communicate that uh, and then understand when it's frustrating for them when when you're not there um you, know, you have a little one at home minor all you know pretty much grown and can drive and one can drive one's about to drive so you know they can take care of them themselves but then you know I, I balance that out with like now I start taking them with me to the race so and again I think at first I was like do I it, it, am I being selfish am I no I'm doing this for me and then I'm doing this for my family for long-term health um so but you have to you know you, no marriage should end up in divorce over OCR racing but some of them do <laughs> I, I've definitely seen that happen um but you know that just means that maybe those marriages weren't meant to last to begin with so um you can work through it and if it's um, you got to do what's best for you and your family. But that's the one thing I did learn. If, if I were to have quit a long time ago when it first was making him unhappy, um, you know, I definitely, there's, I definitely probably wouldn't be here today. I think things would be a lot different um, because it, it's, you know, it's the community, the, the running, the um, uh, just the, me being able to help other people has definitely changed my life. Um, so I have to have that to survive and, and to, you know, I don't have to do it every weekend. I don't have to do it for forever, but um, it's something I'm going to continue doing in my life. And then I'll balance it with my, my husband and my family as I need to, so that um, I'm also not taking away from my family. I think it also sets a good example with, you know, pursuing your dreams and not, even though you're getting older, you continue to pursue things you enjoy. And I think that, I think that sets a good example, especially with the endurance things, which are hard and usually painful. Well, it's funny when you find things when you're just turning, you know, I didn't discover racing till later on and now um, I'm getting older, but I see, you know, all these masters. Women, so I know I can be doing this when I'm 80. So that's the whole age group, age group. I'm going to win every year. Uh, but, you know, just being that a uh, model for a, model for my kids i've got my cross-country kids out now coming and doing these races so which i think in the end i'm like crap i'm building them to be come out and beat me later on so i should probably stop doing but no in the end i'm, I'm doing good things with these kids so 
that that was actually my plan to qualify for Boston when uh before I when I first started running I was like oh those Boston marathon qualifying times are way too fast I was like I'll just I'll just keep running and eventually <laughs> they'll drop the standards so low that I'll I'll get in even if I'm like 70 and just through consistency I ended up getting a lot faster so uh, that worked out well pretty well for me so I think there's a lot to be said about just being consistent and being um, you know putting in hard work over a long period of time. Um, if you want to know why I don't do death race agogi type things, <laughs> so the the answer is because through the military I've been through very similar things, and I think a lot of the things you do at these selection or these go rock or these uh, brutality all all these type of uh, events is kind of based on what uh, we do for the military, and when I do that for the military I get paid. So I'm used to getting, I'm used to getting paid a I want to say a large sum of money but it's a it's a substantial amount of money and there's usually a a second and third order effect uh, you get a patch on your uniform and then it gives you access to other courses or other or it actually changes your job description things like that so I think for me going from something where I'm paid a substantial amount to do these things and it has like a larger purpose and end state. And going back and then paying someone to do it to me, um, it's just I, it just doesn't it just rubs me wrong. I don't know. And I also feel like it's gonna sound a little vain, right? I feel like my qualifications are higher than some of the people teaching. So I feel like maybe I should be doing this to you and not the other way around. Well, no, I we I definitely no, I've run into that. Some of the events, some of the events, I, I look at who the cadres are, and I won't do them because of them. Because you do have the ones that are full of themselves that just want to demand and bark orders, and then you have some phenomenal. Like we couldn't have had Johnny Waite at was phenomenal at death race because he it was all about. Uh, I mean, he he made it really hard, but it was definitely all about you finding out who you were in the whole process. Uh, Don Devaney is the same kind of amazing human being he's that they're that's the kind of races that they like they want to lead um you know not so much of the beating you into the ground and making you want to quit but if you quit it's because you failed on you know because you didn't do something um for yourself um but not just making not what's more degrading you to where you feel like some like a it, an idiot on the ground uh, but there are some people out there that are like that and i i can't take those people seriously and, and like you said earlier in the podcast, I feel like I've checked that block in my life, like the the unnecessary suffering for uh, no reason. But It's hard for me to say I've checked all of them. Like you said, future races, I kind of just go as, oh, look, there, look at that. I want to go do that race. It depends on what races are coming up. If there's a really cool race that you know fits in my schedule with everything, then, and I, then I plan on going and doing it. So I don't really – I'm not as much of a planner as you are where you have all of the, your – phenomenal races planned out i just but i love living through you and watching all of your races again like i said my year started off i was going to do world's toughest mudder that was going to be my goal and then other stuff has just fallen into place so um i just see what each race takes me to i would like to end up doing a lot more uh trail races uh i'd, I'd like to do a, a hundred a hundred mile trail race would like to be my next goal too yeah, the the trail races after doing ultra OCR, I I go back occasionally for training, but I just th- I just think they're so boring now. It like it drives me crazy. It's just like slogging through miles of trail. I don't know. I love ultra OCR, and I one one every once in a while. Yeah, I would. I think I'd like to try it. Be 
because uh, with the the, the ultra OCRs, they're just so sparse now. I mean, I've got, uh, I mean, Ultra Beast. That's about it. Uh, they're all over the place. You just got to look for them. You get Toughest Mudders. You got Ultra Beast. You have Spartan Iceland, uh, Fit Challenge up in the Northeast, uh, OCR Enduro out in Australia. There's, um, yeah, so I think you just got to look for them. And then there's some other big news coming, which I'm not sure when this podcast released, so I'm not going to say what it is. But pay attention. More Ultra OCR coming for you, and it's going to be awesome. So um, we'll, we'll hold on to that piece of information for now. All right, I think that about wraps up the podcast. HB... Oh, finally, let's go with the uh, the nickname, HB Honey Badger. Where did that come from before we let you go? Uh, all right, so back when I was big and fat and everything, uh, um, I used to watch um, uh, oh, a, a show that I, I can't gosh, my, I totally just had a brain fart, and I can't remember the name of the show. Uh, it was one of the teenage singing, where all the teenagers sing all, all the time. Anyway, they had a character on there, and they were doing a... Glee? Yes, it was Glee! Oh, I could never sleep. I, I'm telling you, I had like that. Maybe, maybe I'm a huge closet glee fan. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe it is because you recognize it so quickly. But I would just, I'd stay up late because I could never sleep. And and I there was an episode one time, and this was right at the beginning of when I started to kind of start training, um, that uh, they were doing a sleuthing thing. And Sue was like, your nickname's going to be Honey Badger. And I jokingly made a comment on Facebook that, okay, everybody from now on shall, you know, refer to me as Honey Badger. And it was kind of a joke. And then I started showing up to these workouts at Irwin Park. And uh, I remember one of the first workouts, I just was trying to keep up with these guys. And I was so humiliated because we got to a the eight-foot wall. And... Uh, they, I took three of them basically to help me over the wall. And since at that, that point, um, I would go out there every other day to work on this eight-foot wall, like every day, like persistence. And then looking into death race, I just it was stepping up my training and doing all this stuff. So I was being very um, – anything I wanted to go after, I would go after. And I was very stubborn about anything. Like I would injure myself because um, – uh, I was training so hard and the guys kind of, I can't remember who exactly it was, but they all just like, you know, you just channeled this honey badger. This is what your nickname should be is honey badger. That should be your racing name is honey badger. And that's where it came from. Because if you watch the honey badger YouTube video, uh, it talks about basically honey badger, you know, doesn't give a crap and kind of does what it wants, takes what it wants. And if you, there's a lot of videos out there where honey badgers just do a lot of random crap and don't give a crap about other things. And that's kind of the personality I have. So it kind of stuck, but it did stem from originally I would go out and train and not give up on anything. And my goals were originally to um, be up there with the guys and run with the guys. And, and I would just train my my ass off until I got up there with them and so that's where it came from and it's just kind of stuck and so now it's I don't think anybody if I go to a race and I introduce myself as Christina I just kind of get a look so if I say HB or Honey Badger oh I know who you are so yeah and then I don't know who came up with the we'll cut you somebody came up because of my personality somebody started spreading rumors that I cut people and then that then there was a patch that says HB will cut you that was made so those are all just rumors, though. I'm really, I mean, I fart rainbows and butterflies. I'm so sweet. So, yeah, I don't know where all the evil stuff comes from. <laughs> Before we let you go, any final shout-outs you want to give companies, people, friends, et cetera? This is one of our sponsors. I mean, all of it. Dry Rope right now has been my freaking favorite 
sponsor of all right now because they saved me at Mudmasters. Um, they have just been they were phenomenal in keeping me cold or nice and warm, and I'm I'm going to wear that thing even though I live in Texas. I'm going to wear it every day. Um, other shout outs just to my family, you know, Kendon, who's amazing. My kids, Kai, Kenna, and Cambry, all my teammates um, on the CTG team who keep me sane and keep me in deck, uh, mainly you. Uh, so and <laughs> uh, Jared and Jared Fitness, who has actually been, is really stepped my training up this year because um, I'm going downhill and there's been a lot of pressure being on the pro team to, to keep up with everybody. And uh, y'all are a lot more competitive than, my, than I am, but I did see that I, I was missing out on some things and failing a lot of stuff. So Jared has really got my game up to where I can do some obstacles that I could never do before. So huge shout out to him. Nice. And I'm actually in Texas right now in a hotel room sitting in my dry robe because the that thing is on the most cool. amazing thing ever. Like I, I, I think I lived in it all when I was in London at the at, uh, mud masters and at rat race. And so many people had them there. So uh, I can't wait for cross country season to start because it's always freezing out there and I'm going to be wearing it every day. Yeah, and in, at Toughest UK, it was like everyone had a dry robe on. Mm-hmm. Everyone had dry robes and bleg mitts on. It was like preposterous. Yeah, it's like you're, you're not this you're not one, cool if you don't have a dry robe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely true. So I, I have t- I have two now. Um, one I gave to my wife, so she wears it. But like this new one, the inside is so much softer than my other one. I don't know if they changed materials. My other one was just like old. I don't know. Like, it's amazing. It's like it's, a, this one's like oh. a... It's like a baby blanket. Yep. I love it. Yep, I slept in mine. I do a lot of. There were some pictures posted on me uh, of me that people got of me sleeping in it because I was <laughs> huddled in it like a baby, just yeah, sleeping. And then I wore it on the plane. Uh, had to use it as a pillow. I had some good hacks to carry because that, packing that thing is near impossible. So I learned how to travel with the travel with it. So I'm kind of actually looking forward to. Um, doing some other endurance races that are in the freezing cold because I have the dry robe, even though I can't race it. I decided not to pa- – I, I packed it on the way when I flew to Michigan for toughest uh, Midwest. And when I flew back, I, you know, my body temperature was still a little wonky from the race. So I was like, I'm just going to wear my dry robe, and then I don't have to pack it, and I have you know more room in my bag. And then I landed in Texas, and it was like 90 degrees, and I had this – enormous coat on and i was like oh god i'm so sweaty <laughs> yeah you have to carry so it with you to, to take it off and carry it yeah but um it does if you wear it on the plane it does save a lot of room i'll say that um and if you if you don't wear it on the plane pack it first that way your everything else kind of compresses it just my two cents all right i'm gonna give a quick shout out to um to you obviously for coming on the podcast and if you want to hear more about christina and her training you can pick up Mud Run Guide's Ultra OCR Bible, uh, which is now available from TeamStrengthSpeed.com. And if you want to know more about Christina, we just updated the CTG Pro Team website. So it's www.ctgproteam.com. Very hard to remember there. And a lot of good information on there. We just expanded it a lot. So it's got training videos, Technique Tuesday, Workout Wednesday, Fail Friday, It's got equipment suggestions. It's got information about the athletes on the team, what the team does in their spare time when they're off the course. It's got information about sponsors and coupon codes, and it's got links to all the podcasts we've been on and TV shows and magazine articles and books, etc. It's pretty in-depth, so go ahead and check that out when you have some free time to hear more about OCR and the team. 
All right, Christina, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me on. And I will see you. Yeah, I'll see you, I don't know when, a couple of weeks. All right, sounds good. I'm pretty sure. All right. All right, bye.